A brief warning to our listeners. The following episode contains frank descriptions of domestic abuse situations. Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, we will be talking with my dear friend, Courtney Santana. Courtney is a well-known vocalist, actress and performer, and author of her new book, Off Kilter, as well as a renowned advocate, community volunteer, and activist. She is a 19-year survivor of domestic violence and abuse and found the charity, the Survive to Thrive Foundation, working tirelessly to create opportunities, resources, and awareness for other survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, and bullying. Courtney also founded S2T Capital Ventures, a tech firm providing entrepreneurial support for survivor-driven enterprises. She has created a revolutionary app to provide resources to survivors who are not able to get into their local shelters and subsequently become homeless. Because of her charity work and musical resume, Courtney has been featured in numerous magazines and media, and in her home city of Austin, Texas, March 2nd has been deemed Courtney Santana Day in her honor. I just wanted to start to hear your story of what brought you to where you are today, just in the space of learning and accepting who you are and why you're giving back to others. It's interesting because it is, it's it's quite a journey and it's definitely something that I would never have imagined that I would be doing in this point in my life because I had other plans. I was going to be an attorney and I was going to have four kids and everything but what I thought I was going to be. So getting here came by way of tragedy for me and trauma and some really severe physically, mentally, you know, a lot of really bad things happened, but out of those came like my real mission and purpose, which I don't think I could have defined any other way than the way it actually did happen. I didn't know that. But I mean, (laughs) it's just funny. I mean, you're right. It's just how certain things in our life take us a certain way that we may not have expected. And I think a lot of the show that I want people to understand is that we don't have control (laughs) over our life, even though we think we might be having control. And I almost love that because I feel like it takes people different ways. And you have to go through some sort of learning process to figure out and accept, this is who I am. This is what happened. What am I going to do with it? Exactly. Well, I'm from the Northeast. I lived there with my mom until we moved to Houston back when I started high school. And I went to school at the University of Texas. And while I was in school to become a lawyer, I met a gentleman here in Austin I was single and I was living with one of my girlfriends and he and I had this whirlwind romance. Like he was everything. He was brought me flowers. He was kind to me, super 
charismatic. I just knew we were in love and it was a great thing. I knew I was going to marry him. And then things started to change. It wasn't right away. It was pretty gradual. Like it was, well, it was right away. It's a weird thing. It, it started out very fast and furious and we were always together. But then it became, he wouldn't go home. You know what I mean? Like it was all of a sudden mm-hmm. our relationship changed from what I thought was a positive to a negative mm-hmm. in a very quick period of time. And he and I started dating and then within a month, he was living with me. And then after that, within six months, we were fighting pretty intensely. So it went from being this fairy tale romance to being a very horrible and, and dismal relationship within three months. And as much as he was kind to me, the percentages started to change. Like he was sweet to me, you know, 90% of the time it started going down to where now it was like 50% of the time and then 20% of the time. And then it was all the time where he was physically abusive to me. Over the three years that we were together, I lost hearing my ear. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he broke both of my eye sockets, my chin. Wow. Um, I've had several bruised ribs and broken ribs and concussion. And I lost the baby during our relationship oh just through the physical violence that we had experienced together. And the, the end of the road came one day when he came over to my house after a particularly bad period and he was in jail for the domestic violence charge for me he came over and he had a gun in his possession and the gun fell out of his pocket and I left with my two kids and we went to the shelter here in Austin and that was the end of that wow were you still in college this was after so I was in school to be a lawyer at University of Texas I mean I had to stop going because he consumed all of my time and all of my energy and when I wasn't beaten up with, you know, black eyes, you know, I was making excuses for why, you know, I had studied or I wasn't, I mean, my life had completely changed. You know, I went from being this vibrant student to literally I was living in his mom's living room. I dropped out of school and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just hid because I couldn't expose him for being abusive to me. And like my whole life was just imploding in, in on it. Wow. There was a shelter for you that you escaped to safely. Yeah, I did. I went to the shelter and my kids and I, I mean, this is over a four-year period. My daughter was two and a half and my son was eight months. And we went to the shelter here. I stayed there for about three months and then I started planting my life. So Mm -hmm. I started rebuilding and got another place to live. But then he would stalk me at those places. And Mm. I moved around a lot for several years just because he was, you know, it wasn't physical abuse, then it was stalking and harassment for the next couple of years after wow. that. How did you bounce back with your kids? It's one thing to escape and survive, right, for you. But your kids are pretty right. young. How Two and a half and eight months, yeah. Wow, two and a half yeah, and eight Yeah, Brendan was eight. Oh, my goodness. Did you have friends? Did you have family that helped out? It's interesting because I thought I was keeping my secret pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, you know, my lies and my deceptions to keep people out of my business were working and everybody knew, but nobody did anything either because they were afraid to offend me or they were afraid I would flee. They knew what was going on. I had so many, you know, sick days out and I'd come in and I'd try to cover up black eyes with, you know, with makeup. And he only really became concerned when he saw I was pregnant for the second time. And he was just kind of like, you know, what's going on with you? 
you can't continue like this. And he really became super concerned because you can't hide that. Mm -hmm. I also had a boss at one day when I was at work, it was two days before 9-11. It's either two or three days before 9-11. My abuser showed up at my office and my boss chased him out of the building with the Louisville slugger he had Oh my! Yeah, in his bookcase in his office. So as much as I was trying to hide the truth, you know, with my deception, I honestly was not doing a very good job because once I went to the shelter and I told people what was going on really with me, they were like, well, we knew you can stay with us. What do you and the kids need? And they just, everybody rose to meet me. You know, my mom came and helped me to move. Everybody was just waiting for me to hit the go button on this whole deal. You know, which is really interesting. Like I want to just kind of stop the story here just because you're talking about, I mean, you're a complete advocate, your family and what you do. And just stopping the story here, looking at how you said everybody sort of knew, but nobody really did anything, whether it be fear, whether it be they didn't know what to do. Now that you're kind of on the other side, I'm really interested. What would you tell people if you see something like that? What is the right thing to do? or What can you do? It's so funny because I do have this conversation with people. They ask me all the time. They're just like, well, I think that this is what's going on with my sister. And it's not inappropriate to start the conversation now to push is one thing but to start the conversation and let them know that you're available if they want to talk about anything because you know you can imply things in your conversation so if I came to you and say hey you know Natalie how you doing what's going on you know I'm always here for you no matter what Mm -hmm. there are resources out there to help you with whatever you need help with so just know I'm I'm here I'm on speed dial people remember that stuff Mm. you know it's They remember when you took time out of your day to say, hey, you know, I'm here for you. And then you sit there and you're like, well, why did they say that? You know, why did they ask me that? Maybe they already know. Mm -hmm. They have created this safe environment for you now to go back and say, hey, you know, I'm actually dealing with something and I really need help or I need prayer or I need shelter or I need food. They're creating that opportunity. So. Yeah, I love it. And it's just, that's a few sentences right there. And it doesn't even have to say, I know what's going on. Like you don't have to even have that attitude about it, but it's really just extending a hand. And all it took was you said two sentences, I believe, you know, and that's really good advice. Okay. All right. Now, fast forward to where you are right now and what you've created. Tell me how you got to that position of finally, here you are at getting everything together in a different type of lifestyle, something that you already did not plan, but now you're safe. What happened next? I started rebuilding and then I went back to the shelter where I had stayed and I said, you know, this is now my community. This is my trauma formed community. I, I now identify with this group and I don't think it's for me to walk away and say, okay, that was something I did. It's now part of my patchwork. It's just, your story there. So how can I support other people like me? And they put me to work, had me speaking to other organizations about the great work that they were doing in that shelter. And I just felt like that was my way of giving back to my community. It's never a thing that you should walk away from a group that has helped you in such a profound way. Like they helped me because I don't remind people all the time. Yeah, I know you're in a beautiful, wonderful marriage and, but things can change on a dime, mm-hmm. you know, and financial stress could cause things to happen or a natural disaster. We're all in a position where at any point we might be on the the other end of needing resources and access and needing people to help us. 
So I always keep that in my heart because I'm not completely out of it yet. Mm-hmm. And I need to always stay humble because who knows? You know, I know Gary will never be an abuser. But what if someday a tornado comes and just wipes out our house? Then we're we're back in this position where we're going to need help. So I just try to keep my heart open and, mm. and continue to keep that mindset that I'm a servant in any capacity whenever I can be. And how long were you at the shelter before you started to get back on your feet or where you felt confident enough to kind of turn around even and now help people that are coming through there? I left after three months, but I didn't feel confident until like a year later. It had always sat in the back of my head like, hey, you know, are you ready to to get back in there because you can't just leave? And I also thought about the workers there and I thought about the people that I met while I was there. And instantly it's like, you know, what are you going to do to support other people? Because they have a constant influx of new people going in and old people going out. What are you going to do to, to support that community that will leave some sort of legacy for helping other people in the future? And that's why I said, this is my community. This is how I'm going to serve. And did you have a job at the time when you sort of left and kind of got back on your feet? Yeah, it took me about six months to get myself together. When I ran to the shelter, I told my boss at the time what happened. And it's the same guy that chased him out of the building with the Louisville slugger. Mm-hmm. And he said, you take as much time as you need. If he hadn't done that for me, I don't know what I would have done. Cause I went wow. back to working there and I had a job when I left the shelter. And that's why I think it's really important for a survivor that is experiencing domestic violence because it's so unpredictable and you never know how your life is going to be affected, you do have to share with people around you so that if all of a sudden Courtney doesn't show up, we'll know to look for her right. or we'll understand that this is what's going on. And if she reaches out, we'll know how to respond. If you just tell me this, I'm at work every day and then all of a sudden for two weeks I don't show up and you don't know anything about me, it's hard for you to rationalize or even like justify helping me. But if I'm sharing with you or I find a trusted person to share that story with, they can tell my story. And a lot of times they'll be there to help you. And so when did you start creating what is now Survive to Thrive? Back in 2006, I decided I wanted to go back because it was a sad place. Like it's not you walk in there and there's rainbows and unicorns. It's it's literally a very depressed situation because you're dealing with trauma and you're dealing with sadness and people that are depressed. When I first got there, I cried for three solid days. I didn't want to leave the couch. I didn't know who was taking care of my kids. I was just there. And I was like, there has to be a way. So I decided to, Thread to Thrive when we first started was called Jonah. And we basically were doing quality of life improvement projects inside of the shelter where I live. So we built a computer lab so that the survivors could go and find jobs. This is back when, you know, the internet was new and we were moving away from like paper, mm-hmm. um, newspapers to find our jobs. You had to be online. You had to have an online resume. So I had a resume builder come in and Dell donated all these computers and we refurbished this room so that women were able to be able to start finding jobs from there. And then I was like, there has to be more to it. So I started speaking for the organization where I stayed. I go to corporations and organizations and ask them to donate and support to the shelter where I live. And I served on their board, their fundraising board for several years. So I felt like, you know, I was finally getting to the place where I was ready to support them. I didn't know Survive to Thrive was going to turn into this until like while I'm out there speaking to all of these people 
people would always come up after I would speak and say, hey, that's great, but I couldn't get in. And I was like, what are you talking about? Whenever I went, I got in. And I was like, that's not a real thing. And they were like, it absolutely is a real thing. And I found out that there is a homelessness issue attached to going to the shelter. And then I realized it was a national issue. And that's when Survive to Thrive changed and became what it is today. We pivoted to meet that need of homelessness that comes as a result of leaving violence. And what does Survive to Thrive do? Our mission is to support survivors and victims of domestic violence and abuse who find themselves homeless after escaping their violent homes. In Texas, it's nearly 42% of those that will be turned away because there is no room in the inn when they go to the shelter. There's not enough beds for heads. So they'll find themselves homeless. They'll find themselves going to other nonprofits that are not made for them. If you go to Salvation Army here in Austin, the, the population of women there, chances are if you dig deep enough, they'll tell you that domestic violence is part of their background. And there's another nonprofit here called Mobilose and Fishes, where their female population there has self-identified as being victims of domestic violence that couldn't find a place to stay after they left. It's interesting with women that that is, you know, domestic violence is now a root of homelessness and poverty. And I felt like mixed with my entrepreneurial and my arts background, like it was a perfect fit for me to try to help women like me with children like mine rebuild their lives like I had to do. Mm -hmm. It's like my friend told me the other day, she's like, you're just replicating what you did for yourself. And I was like, I guess it is, because that's exactly what I did. It's yeah, like, but that's, what the steps I took. that's the best way to do it, because you know, and you've walked the walk. I mean, you know, this is what you've right. lived, and you've made it to the other side. And now it's, you're one of the best people that are going to be able to do this. I mean, not anybody's going to be able to walk in and talk to survivors at a shelter like how you can. And it breaks no. my heart that... There are no places for some people to go to and they become homeless or they go back because they have no place yes. to go. Exactly. Yeah. That's the propensity is like, okay, I'm out and now I'm going to have a shelter to go to because that's what people are telling them. It's like, go to the shelter and this is the phone number and they'll get the phone number and they'll go there and then they'll realize, oh goodness, I've got to call another shelter and now I've got to call another shelter and now I have to call another shelter. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, he doesn't know that I've done this, so maybe I can go home and it'll give me another couple of weeks of quiet because he feels bad about beating me up in the first place, but then that'll end and mm-hmm. the cycle will continue. So Survive this Thrive comes out of this notion that if we provide the right resources and tools and support, that survivors will no longer have to be homeless. They will now have a way to get support without actually ever having been in the shelter. And we partner with shelters just so that when they do have to turn somebody away, they can say, but there's an option. You don't have to go home. You don't have to go to another nonprofit not fit for you. There are some options available to help you. Right. And I know that you have discussed and told me that there are different places besides shelters. And even within Survive to Thrive, what I think is amazing about you and this organization and your constantly evolving story is that it doesn't even end there. Like you have created something now. So talk about your new app and, and you created something that you're working on to be in this tech world and to be something where now it's with technology, you have to keep up with how are these people going to reach out and how are they going to find the help? Because it's not the way it used to be anymore. You know, you have to constantly evolve. So tell us more about the new app that you're creating. 
Here's something you might not know. NOCO FM is also a podcast network producing one-of-a-kind programming like the show you're enjoying right now. We have talk shows, original comedy, music shows curated by real people, and a lot more. So if you like what you're hearing, make NOCO FM a part of your day and tell your friends. Remember, that's www.noco.fm. Yeah, it came out of the need that we saw that these weightless numbers and this homelessness issue was growing, and it was a national issue, and it, it actually is a global issue. haven't done much research overseas, but I do know that it is something that women and children and men are, are facing across the globe. And I was just like, how can we get resources and access and safe places into the hands of all of these people? Because as we continue to scale and grow, costs grow the need for more manpower and bodies grow. How can we actually create a mechanism where I'm in Texas, but I get the same tools and access as somebody in Colorado or say somebody in Boston. And we came to the conclusion that building some sort of technology or an app would actually be the best way to do it. So we took the program, which is our sanctuary program, where we provide temporary housing spaces, resources, and advocate support, and we translated it into a technology called the Sanctuary app, which allows survivors of domestic violence to either find available shelter space. If they can't find available shelter space within 100 miles, they can find available hotel space where an advocate can either meet them or they can meet them through the app to help them build a strategic plan about what they're going to do next. So it's doing a couple of things. It's keeping them from being homeless. It's keeping them from going to places where they're not necessarily being served in the proper way because I was displaced. I wasn't homeless. So it's a different set of problems. Mm -hmm. It's like I have to know where to put my kids tomorrow as opposed to I have to know where to sleep tomorrow, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, So the app actually provides, it's like a shelter on your phone and a way to track your progress. So you set an appointment, you have the strategic plan about what you're going to do next. You can actually track where you've been, who you've spoken to, and that information is always available to you. And we're constantly updating our resources so that survivors don't have to call six different shelters in a day. They can just call one and know if they're on the wait list or not. Right now, for them to maintain their space, like if they go to a shelter and they say, okay, you're on the wait list, they have to call every single day mm. to stay on the wait list or they get kicked off. Wow. Yeah. And so this app actually gives them visibility into the the availability of shelter space so that they don't have to continually go looking for shelter space and be told no every single day. It's like it's either green for available, yellow, maybe not, red, don't even bother to call. And then if there's no shelter space, then it bounces over into our hotel inventory space. And we've got secured hotel partners across the country where they can go and be safe. Wow. That it's, is it's so really good. incredible. That is so incredible. And that's advances and innovation in technology that you're working on. But, you know, I just remember mm-hmm. you telling me that 
this whole idea started with your experience and domestic violence. You know, when I looked at Survive to Thrive and being part of Unity Day, you know, marking the beginning of Awareness Month for domestic violence, and now it's sexual assault and bullying, it's more than just domestic violence. You know, you shared a story with me, and I'd love for you to kind of retell it because it just made me stop in my tracks. And we were sitting and having breakfast, and I wanted my kids to hear it because I want them to hear the real world. Yes, I have to explain some of the things of what Courtney was saying, you know, (laughs) anti-Courtney. But (laughs) it was just... I want you to share that story of how you went to this woman's house to literally save her, but there was kind of the confusion and just, I feel like your work has started to go into this big, huge area where even again, you probably didn't expect it when you first started, but now Mm -hmm. there's possibilities of you reaching even more people to reach out that hand to. And so tell us that story, if you remember. Oh, absolutely. I got a call from one of our mutual friends, actually, here in Austin, and she told me of a a young lady that she had just met at the grocery store, and the young woman had just come here from New Mexico. She was a sex trafficking victim. And I just wandered into this area because we started getting an uptick in sex trafficking calls here And Austin, as Austin gets bigger, so does the world we're exposed to. So, you know, we've got ACL and F1 and all of these big festivals that come here. But it also brings this weird underbelly of crime that we would never associate with our little hamlet that is Austin. So now we as an organization have to start preparing for all these new communities and sex trafficking is one. I met her and I brought her to a hotel. Because that's our normal, you know, operation is like, we put you in a hotel and so let it stabilize you. But she kept telling me and asking me if I was a trafficker. And I was just like, what do you mean, am I a trafficker? And she said, well, you look like one. And she kept telling me that I look like a trafficker. Why should I trust you if you're a trafficker and I'm going to run? She totally did not trust me until about three days in. And then she finally released because... It's a totally different environment, mm-hmm. but we have to be aware of everything that's around us. Like we, we live in these beautiful places, like in Colorado, where you are and where I am in Austin, they're, they're wonderful to the eye, the visual, what we can see, but there are people in this world that are using that false sense of security to trap us into situations. Mm-hmm. So this young woman has literally hitchhiked across the country to get away from her husband who was sex trafficking her and I made it my duty and commissioned myself to learn more about sex trafficking so that we provide the proper care for this particular community it's now launched us into something else like you were saying it's like now you got to expand what you do even further because something that I do for a domestic violence victim may traumatize a sex trafficking victim i.e. bringing them into a hotel Exactly. I mean, yes, you were explaining. I brought to her me to too. a hotel, and that might freak her out because that's where she's trafficked. I look like a housewife, but at the same time, housewives are the ones that are now recruiting right. these young women to be sex trafficked. So, just knowing what you are facing and what you're up against is really important. Wow. And you're so willing to take this on. I feel like that's the true heart of even somebody who has walked it, but 
as an entrepreneur, I mean, you don't stop. Things yeah. are going to be added on and new paths, but you got to just keep going because you can't stop. I mean, with yours, with what you do as an organization and a nonprofit, I mean, you can't stop. There are people depending on you. And, you know, to our listeners, if you follow Courtney at all on her social media channels, I mean, she, I have seen <laughs> so many videos and they're so truthful and they're so, they just rip my heart out <laughs> in the middle of the night at, in the middle of the morning, she will get calls and she will be in a car waiting, you know, talking, just talking her heart out, explaining what she's doing. And I love, I love, and I hate watching them <laughs> because it is, it's so sad, but it's the real world. And I yeah. love them though, because she is out there and this stuff is real. And I watched a video of her buying shoes for somebody at Walmart in the <laughs> middle of the night. And so part of what I want to do and I want our listeners to learn about is if they are interested, you know, if they connect to something with what you're doing, how can they help you? Whether it's their time, I feel like Ahead of you, you have so much, and I want people to get connected and to be able to help you, whether it's from afar, whatever type of help you need, whether it's pushing anything out on social media, whether it's donating financially, like what are some of the needs that you need? Gosh, let's start because I feel like you need so much on a daily basis, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. all the way to if you can look forward, at, which I know it's hard because there's just a wide, I feel like there's a wide open open field of, you know what, I'm just going to walk out into it and I'm going to take on whatever I can take on. I feel like you're Captain America and you're just like, <laughs> you're just like going to take them all on. It doesn't even matter. You yeah. know, and here we are watching the movie and it's just like, oh my gosh, she's going to do it all. She's going to get everybody, every single last <laughs> one, you know? So share with us a little more of, gosh, even from just the small ask all the way to what your dreams could be. I I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but I just want to be able to get it out there as far as what you need and how anybody can help you out. Well, at this point, because we are going to a national model, we need as many hands as possible, whether you're in Massachusetts or you are in California, like from coast to coast. With us building this app, we're going to need advocates from across the country. So if it's in your heart to support somebody that's in crisis, and let me just give the description of what you would be doing is when someone comes to us and we've placed them in a hotel with a hotel partner we build a strategic plan. The strategic plan is you can't stay here forever. This is temporary. What are you going to do next? And we go through 13 areas where we basically say, these are the things that you're going to have to do to start to stabilize again, primarily housing, transportation, food, those basic needs. And it's just a checklist, just making sure you help that person plan through each of those steps totally impartially. You're not building this for them. You're not trying to solve their problems. You are just kind of guiding their answers so that they can build a strategic plan for what they're going to do next in realistic fashion. You're not going to leave abuse one night and be living in a $2 million house the next day mm -hmm. unless you have one. The idea is how can I day by day take this bite by bite and rebuild my life without going back to my abusive home? And once they get a couple of W's behind their name, 
you know, where they actually have a win, like they were able to accomplish something. I found with the 810 people, we counted it up, that we've taken through our program since 2016, literally you give them a couple of wins, then they're ready to do some their own planning and they're ready to take it on by themselves and they're reporting back to you as opposed to you guiding them through. So we just need folks that can walk through a checklist and help to build a plan and then put it into our app when the app launches. We always need donations because we are going to a national model and we have what's called our Thousand Nights of Safety program where you can give $150 and that will house a family of four for a night. It'll get them out of the cold. It'll get them into our program so that we can help them move forward. It also gets them food, toiletries, clothing, basically anything that they need. You know, me buying boots in the middle of the night, that money comes from people donating so that I can go and give this woman work boots so she can go to work the next day because she left her work boots out of the house. She needed to go to work and she couldn't go to work so we had to buy her boots. That's what that video was about. So donating and volunteering, advocating, those are really what we need. We have events throughout the year where we need volunteers to come. They're great events. They're fun. And then just sharing our mission on social media is a big one because we are different. We're not a shelter. We're a program that encourages people to be self-sufficient. I don't think there's anything wrong with the shelter. I lived in the shelter for three months. I don't have an issue with them, but I also feel like there has to be, hey, next week you're leaving. What's your plan? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do next? So you don't end up back there. Because I think a lot of the time, the reason the shelter is full is because we haven't equipped people with the tools they need to move forward. All of the work that we're doing now is all about self-sufficiency. You know, I don't want to ever be the stumbling block for somebody that is trying to get on their feet. I want to be the person that's lifting them up towards their next goal and towards their next mountain that they have to climb. But they can totally do it with the right tools and the right support. And they say it's not hand-holding, it's lifting up. Right. They're going to have to reach for their goals and define them even. But while they're defining them and they're winning, I'm helping them with the resources on the back end. That's what Survive Society is all about. So those are the three things we really need are advocates, volunteers, and of course, donations and support. And you know what? I mean, to our listeners, that's not much. I mean, we've gone through a couple of different things where we have talked about even, number one, reaching out to somebody that you see might have something going on. Just asking the questions or not even asking the questions and just say, hey, you know what? If you need anything at all, just let me know. That's reaching out on the ground, walking people through a plan. Of course, that would probably take some training from Survive to Thrive or some other advocates. But that's just creating a plan, you guys. It's not even really taking them in or anything like that or, you know, buying food or, or anything. You can, obviously, if you want to, but on the ground, walking them through a plan for them to come up with their own win. I mean, that's just literally time. Advocating, yeah. sharing the mission on social media is what also I heard. And again, that's easy. You can do that from anywhere. Volunteers connect with Survive to Thrive on their website and on social media. See what types of events are coming up, where Courtney will be next, and maybe get out there and meet her and see what she's doing when she comes to a town and reach out, see how else you can help, or take a picture of what, you know, what 
what you're doing and share it on social media. That's the easiest way to do it. And really to our listeners, the only thing that I heard so far besides just donating straight to the foundation is there is a set fee. There's $150 that you can do flat if that's all you want to do, where it will house a family of four for one night. I mean, imagine all of us going back to our comfy homes and curling up and going to sleep. And there are people out there with their kids and they need a place to stay. So those are some of the simple asks. And check out Survive to Thrive Foundation and what Courtney is doing because it's incredible. And as you can tell, There's so much more that needs to be done. I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. And if we can all come together and do this, or if something connected to you, do it. That's all I can say is do it. Is there anything else that you would love to share or ask or? You said it. I think you did a good job now, but you always do. So I don't have much more to add. It's just, We've gotten into this mode of giving to what we know, but we live in an evolving world with evolving problems. And it's important to stay abreast of what's out there and what's affecting people around you. This is not a problem that people even knew existed two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. It's, it's existed for a long time, but two or three years ago, it really came to the forefront. I can't emphasize enough that we're always going to need to support other people because we never know when it's going to be us that's going to need that support. And I love that you're doing this, Natalie. I really appreciate the opportunity to to be a part of it. And I want to support as many people as we possibly can so they can navigate, donate, or volunteer. That will be supporting us in a huge way. So thank you so much. No, I love it. Thank you. So advocate, volunteer, or donate. And I'm so glad that you took the time to share with us what you are doing and you know I'm going to follow you anywhere. <laughs> I know, I know. I love you guys. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you came to Unity Day. Especially when we're moving to a national platform here soon. It's going to be important to get the news out far and wide. So um, thank you so much. You're welcome. What about like the book tour? Yeah, we're still developing the actual date. But I know I'm going to start touring the book in the early part of next year. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Natalie. I appreciate it. This is the end of our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you NOCO FM for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NOCO FM. 